Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Come experience what the Constitution means to me at Paramount's Copley Theater in downtown Aurora from October 4th to November 12th. Tickets are available starting at $40 online now at ParamountAurora.com. What the Constitution means to me is hilarious, heartbreaking, and insightful. This Pulitzer Prize-nominated play shows the fight for freedom and equality is never done, but passed on from generation to generation. Be bold with us for what the Constitution means to me, October 4th through November 12th. Tickets starting at $40 on sale now at ParamountAurora.com. That's ParamountAurora.com. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Wednesday, September 20th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back Monroe Anderson to talk the news of the day for Monroe Wednesdays. The Ben Jarofsky Show is proudly presented by the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and a whole lot more. Just head to Chicago Reader to find out. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Council Explainer Wednesday, and here's why. Because briefly, before I bring on the great Monroe Anderson, the legendary Monroe Anderson, I'm going to explain the Chicago City Council to you as your foremost explainer of the Chicago City Council. This is my job, except at the moment, I am baffled. (laughs) Even I can't explain the Chicago City Council. I do not understand what's going on in the Chicago City Council. And this is is quite a confession, ladies and gentlemen, because I've been following the Chicago City Council 40 years I've been following the Chicago said, wow, what a pause for me to reflect and consider the meaninglessness of my existence. <laughs> I've spent 40 years dedicated to, among other things, the Chicago City Council. All right. So they had a vote last week. I didn't even get a, a chance to get into this. They had a vote last week uh, on uh, approving a grant from the federal government for $33 million to deal with the asylum uh, seekers. A crisis, as they say, it was a crisis in the city of Chicago. You know, somehow or other, the city of Chicago, which needs people to move here because we've been losing people, can't figure out what to do with the fact that people are being bust here. It's like somehow or other, we've taken a be- a bonus and turned it into a crisis. Details are done. So anyway, uh, the federal government should be kicking in more money, but they kicked in thirty-four million, and it required thirty-three million. I want to say, my bad, thirty-three million. And uh, so it required a, a vote of approval from the city council to expend it. And some aldermen voted against it. And I'm like, I read this in the paper, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm like, I don't understand this. Okay, I get it. You're all brainwashed into thinking that somehow or other, this is a horrible crisis. That having people move to Chicago or being bust to Chicago, whatever, they're moving into Chicago at a time when the city is losing people and figuring out what we should do to get people to come here. Somehow or other, that's a crisis. That's a bad thing. You've been brainwashed by Trump and MAGA into thinking that's a bad thing. You're all going along with it. Here's so funny. Chicago votes 85 percent against Trump, but they're totally brainwashed by his MAGA rhetoric. It's horrible. Oh, my God. People are being moved into Chicago at a time when we're losing people. Just read an article in the New York Times, by the way. It's somehow other Los Angeles is not like losing its mind over this. They have a very similar situation and they're not losing their mind, calling it a crisis. Details at 10. Anyway, so they had the vote and people voted against it. I'm like, what do you care? (laughs) 
It's like Raylo. Uh, you know, I love you, Raylo, Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward Alderman. But what have you lost your mind, Raylo? He's like, we have to be fiduciary oversight. Fiduciary oversight over the federal government? You're an alderman from the southwest side of Chicago. What are you going to What, like, colonel of fiduciary oversight do you have of the federal government? Like, people are making points. I understand that you want to, like, embarrass Mayor Brandon Johnson. You want to show that you're MAGA at the core, that somehow or other you don't like the fact that Venezuelan refugees are being bussed into the city of Chicago. You have, you just, you want to join that MAGA train that is Donald Trump is driving, trying to scare people into voting for him, even though he's like facing indictments in four different venues uh, out of fear. Okay. The same, like it's what MAGA's got. I mean, Darren Bailey in 2022, trying to scare white people to vote for him. Paul Vallis, it almost worked. <laughs> Paul Vallis, all these liberal Northsiders, Monroe Anderson's neighbors. Oh, we like Vallis. It's a lunatic, and they're all voting for him. But this is crazy. $33 million from the feds. Federal money. It's not costing anyone in Chicago any extra money. And do you realize how much waste there is in the federal government? Producer Chris, before he went on the mic, was telling me he was listening to a story about $1.7 trillion, trillion dollars, Monroe Anderson, in federal funds for the F-35 bomber, which is a stealth bomber designed to avoid radar. <laughs> I'm like, they just keep churning out money to build these bombers. As far as I know, none of that goes to Chicago, by the way. Only in Chicago. I only in, no, it's not even true because some MAGA people turn out federal dollars. But MAGA, you have lost your mind. And Raylo, if you have like bought into the MAGA mindset, then you come on, you could do better than this. I can't imagine a city council turning down federal funds in the name of fiduciary oversight. I mean, like, it makes no sense. It's federal dollars, it's not going to cause. Property owners in the 15th Ward, the 42nd Ward, the 1st Ward, or the 2nd Ward, or any of the 50th Wards to pay more. It's federal money. Would you rather have the money go to North Dakota? People in Chicago, I don't know, Alderman, I always defend you. I always say I believe in automatic prerogative. I took the stand for you, Nick Pizzato, in the fight. Uh, when Lori Lightfoot was trying to demonize the city council and a lot of liberals, clueless Chicago liberals, were going along with it. Even a few lefties, I might add. But this is ridiculous. But you guys, you guys want to play to that mega drumbeat and you want to embarrass Mayor Johnson. So you vote against taking money from the feds. Voting against taking money from the feds. All right, without further ado, Monroe Anderson has been patiently waiting. We're going to bring him on. If I'll tell you what, if Monroe Anderson was an alderman on the Chicago City Council, if he was, I believe you're in the second ward now. For many years, you were in the 43rd ward. Monroe Anderson's got enough sense. He wouldn't vote no to a federal handout. It's federal money, alderman. Sorry, Monroe, I didn't mean to get all passionate again. But you would not vote no against federal money for the city of Chicago, would you? I know, but I understand what's going on. Explain to me what's going on. One one word. NIMBY. What? <laughs> They're here already. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they don't want them in their backyards. Oh my God, that's if insane. Promising to put them one in one ward, then you'd only have one alderman or, or, or two. It's it's you know they the white alderman don't want them. The black alderman don't want them. Some of the Hispanic aldermen don't want them uh, because they are foreigners. Wow. And that, that is, is so the twisted. American way. Um, I don't care how far back you go in American history. Whoever, whatever immigrant was arriving was not wanted. And so there's this whole backlash. And then you get another set of immigrants after the, those immigrants had, had integrated into American society. Then the next wave of immigrants. I mean, that, 
this is how this country works. Unfortunately, that's deep and it's true and it's on target. You're absolutely correct. And it's, it makes even more, it's like voting against this money is not going to stop governor Abbott from sending busloads of asylum seekers to Chicago. It's just going to make it that much more difficult for Chicago to find the money to pay to resettle the asylum seekers that Abbott's busting to Chicago. So Monroe, it's completely illogical. Do you agree with me on that point? Except when did you start accusing <laughs> or suspecting the Chicago City Council for being physically uh. smart? You know what? I have always defended the Chicago City Council under withering assault for people like Monroe. Okay. I I, I think, yeah. Well, at moments like this, it's hard to defend them. Ever, ever been good on the money part. Uh, You know, Mayor Richie Daly said, let's sell off. All the geese that go grow lay the golden eggs. Okay, okay, okay. Oh my God, you're so right. Mayor Richard Daly. And this is how they did it, folks. Let's go back to the parking meter deal. I remember how they did it. McDumpkin and I did the investigation. So they wanted to sell off the parking meters. They never did any study, they never did any investigation, didn't see like the pluses and the minuses. Uh but they were told they can get about a billion dollars for it. So they leaked. I think they leaked it to Sneed. They could get a billion dollars. This is how little they regard you, Chicagoans. This is what, what a low esteem the people that run this city have for you. They thought Chicagoans were so dumb that they would see the word one billion. They'd see one billion and Sneed's come and go, oh, my God, a billion dollars. Like it was going to each individual Chicagoan. Like every Chicagoan's going to get a piece of that. And that's like a billion dollars, Ben. I remember like Alderman and, and, and you know, daily uh, uh, booty kissers. There was many of them on the north side. Ben, it's a billion dollars. Okay. Let, let, <laughs> let, let me correct you a little bit. Okay. It wasn't that the voters were stupid. It was the Alderman. <laughs> they saw the billion and went, whoa, a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. No, and I'm... I. I am going to defend Chicagoans. I'm not saying Chicagoans are dumb. I'm yeah. saying they act like you're dumb. Right. Okay. And okay. they've consistently, the people that have run this city have acted like Chicagoans were dumb. You know, my favorite example, Ron putting on a sweater to get reelected yeah. and Chicago. Oh, he's a nice guy after all, Ben. I mean, did it take much? Put on a sweater. Right. Close. How many schools? 50 schools he closed. Yeah. How many mental health clinics did six he closed? No, but my point is yeah. the, the aldermen, yeah. the city council people don't understand money. This is this is why uh, one reason that Burke was in charge for all those years. He was the only one who had a clue. I, I mean, he knew exactly what was going on. Right. Uh, these other folks are like, ah, uh, uh, I, I think, first of all, Burke voted for all this stuff. So you, that doesn't exist. He, every dumb idea we're talking about, not only did Burke vote for it, he shepherded through the budget, com- the finance committee. And then he, he gave a speech on the council floor championing it. So if he knew something about money, he did a great job of hiding it. You were in the room where it happened. Well, you don't, okay, you don't know what Bert okay, got. Hamilton. <laughs> you don't know what Bert got for that money. Oh, okay, there, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> fair enough. So he had a personal reason for voting for this idiocy, <laughs> as opposed to the rest of the aldermen who just voted for it. No, it's all, the point I'm making is, is it's not that they thought the Chicago voter was stupid; they themselves were stupid. <laughs> they went for it. They, uh, they heard the B word and said. Whoa, a billion dollars. <laughs> a billion dollars. We, we rich bitch. <laughs> a billion dollars. City Alderman, one more time. Producer Chris pointed this out to me. The F-35 bomber, $1.7 trillion. <laughs> Whoa. The, 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 the jet fighter jet that crashed, $100 million. Wow. Which is, <laughs> one jet. One yeah, jet. One jet. 
but the city count one jet, a hundred million dollars. The city council is upset because the federal government is giving them 33 million. <laughs> no, Hey, Alderman, send it to South Dakota. Okay. Oh, no, I don't want to have to go through all that trouble. I'll take it. <laughs> Monroe, he'll take the 33 million. That, that, that is... So they don't have to worry about it. And, and, and I'll set up some housing unit for the, the um, migrants for, yeah. and, and still come up 3 million for myself or something. Uh, no, it's absolutely phenomenal. And there was another vote today, which I'll get into later about the uh, minimum wage on the restaurant industry. There were three aldermen who voted against that, uh, yeah, even though it would help uh, working people in the city of Chicago. And I just, I don't know, sometimes the logic employed by the aldermen is just, just, it's just astounding. All right, uh, let's move on to something uh, bef- uh, that um, I've been really eager to talk about. Uh, and I figure Monroe's the perfect person to talk about because we're roughly the same age, we're roughly the same generation, and uh, we're roughly uh, come, we're of the era that produced uh, Jan Wenner. And so Jan Wenner, if you're not following this, is the fantastically successful and wealthy former publisher of Rolling Stone magazine. He created Rolling Stone magazine. Ladies and gentlemen of the uh, millennial uh, generation, let me just explain. Rolling Stone magazine was like the industry rag for the rock and roll industry, basically. Uh, They promoted rock and roll. They helped sell thousands, millions and millions of records. Uh, They glorified rock stars. Uh, They turned rock stars, ordinary rock stars. They they depicted them as the great thinkers and the, the, the great uh, philosophers of our time promoted them, made them richer, and in turn, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of baby boomers when they were in their 20s and their 30s just flocked to Rolling Stone. There's a song, I Want to Be on the Cover of Rolling Stone, Shel Silverstein, the great they legendary. Were, they, were, they were the publication of record for the, the uh, rock and roll. That's correct. They were hand-in-hand hand with... Uh, the record industry in making everybody a lot of money and doing it in a very clever way to make it seem like it was journalism. So very successful Rolling Stone. Hats off to Jan Wenner. He figured it out, made himself a fortune. He has, I don't think he has anything to do with Rolling Stone anymore. He's 77 years old. He's retired. Uh, and um, But he uh, compiled a collection of interviews uh, with famous rock and rollers that he had done uh, down through the years, which essentially consisted of him going, please let me kiss your butt, Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. Oh, John Lennon, I love you. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Uh, not exactly uh, Edward R. Murrow, uh, but um, he's polishing their apple. Uh, one hand washes the other. Anyway, so it's called, he put together a collection of it is uh interviews it's called the masters conversations with bono dylan garcia jagger lennon springsteen townsend i'm just showing monroe that's the public that's the uh cover monroe if, as you can see so those are the names uh those names mean something if you're a rock and roller uh, i'm not going to bother telling our listeners who all these people are but one thing they had in common they're all white men and so uh, an interviewer, uh, Jan Winter's promoting the book, and so an interviewer from the New York Times asked him about this, uh, and then he went on this riff uh, and as to why there were no uh, women or black people uh, included in this list of masters. And he goes, it's, it's not that they're not creative geniuses. It's not that they're inarticulate, although go have a deep conversation with Grace Slick or Janis Joplin. Please be my guest. You know, Joni Mitchell was not a philosopher of rock and roll. She didn't, in my mind, meet the test, not by her work, not by other interviews she did. The people I interview were the kind of philosophers of rock. Of black artists, you know, I guess Stevie Wonder, genius, right? I suppose when you use a word as broad as masters, the fault is using that word. Maybe Marvin Gaye or Curtis Mayfield. I mean, they just didn't articulate at that level. Like, I I got to let Monroe riff on this, but I'll just say this. It was black people who essentially invented rock and roll. All of those white people that you're on the cover of your book are playing 
a genre of music that black people invented. This is so unbelievably blatant, condescending. Hey, this is the problem, Ben. You didn't understand. You don't understand. That just because you invented something doesn't mean that you understand what you invented and that you could explain it to anybody else. What's that? <laughs> I said, you may have invented it, as in, i.e., black people, but that doesn't mean that they're intelligent enough or articulate enough to understand and explain what they invented. They just did it, you know, sort of they were born with this natural talent. And so that's how it happened. Same with, you know, that's the way it used to be with black athletes all the time. They were natural athletes, uh, but they hadn't given any thought to how they were playing the game and what they were doing. It's just that, you know, that they had rhythm. <laughs> Same with the musicians. Yeah. You know, that's, 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 that's what, Winner was trying to tell you. Wow! What he literally said it, <laughs> yeah, man, man! And he's like, "Oh yeah, it, you know, it, you're right. It does kind of remind me. You're absolutely correct. I forgot. I was talking about Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future. I don't know if you saw that movie when it came out. I forget when, but he goes back into the fifties, uh, and he essentially the point he teaches Chuck Berry rock and roll. That's like he has this thing where he teaches Chuck, Chuck Perry invented rock and roll. And it's like this white kid from the future goes back to the 50s and teaches Chuck. That's kind of like uh, the premise of this. But it does remind also, you remember um, uh, like when Al Capanis from the Los Angeles Dodgers went on the uh, Ted Koppel show, uh, they were and it was Jackie Robinson Day, and they were and they were asking him why there are not more black people in, in management positions in baseball. And he goes, because they don't have the necessities, like why they can't swim. Remember that one? Uh, yeah. he, he, they, <laughs> Monroe, that was 40 years ago, and it's still going on. Right. You know, I can remember I, in the 70s, I think it was, uh, a story I read where this um, marathon, white marathon runner, winner uh was saying why blacks never won the marathon and his theory was um they were too lazy because <laughs> it took a lot more energy to to do that than it did to run the hundred yards or something that's insane since the greatest marathon runners ever are Kenyans well, and Africans. Right. Well, once they got a chance to compete, see, they weren't, for one reason or another, they weren't competing, and so they weren't winning. Wow. Now, you, of course, nobody would be foolish enough to say that. Even a, even a hardcore racist, Trump wouldn't even make that statement. Well, now they go, they'll take it a different direction. They'll be like, well, they have a, a so it's like, they they're uh, genetically superior. That's why they win. So it's it's never like hard work. You get what I'm saying, Monroe? It's it's no, it's never never hard work. Yeah. <laughs> when you describe them black people, lazy is high up there on 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 the list of descriptions to come down. Yeah, as is. Wow. And so like, so what's your thoughts about Rolling Stone uh, as an institution down through the years? Your, your, your uh, career in journalism kind of. No, and I would have loved, loved to have written for the Rolling Stone. But mm -hmm. I never even considered it because I never saw that writer's name. I'm sure some, some black writer or two or three wrote for the Rolling Stone, but I didn't see it. And so therefore, I wasn't uh, inspired to try and go do that. Uh, you know, and as far as um, capability in, in just explaining the business, I did interview um, a, a few black artists and uh, Curtis, Curtis Mayfield, I spent five days with, I interviewed him and he understood the business quite well. 
And um, and what was really interesting with my interview, this was 1973. My interview with him that was really uh, interesting is he he he, he told me that um, they didn't have a black, a white manager, and so it was only when they got I forget this his manager's name the guy who came in he's Jewish, but when he came in, he went to um, Dick uh, American Bandstand. And, and said, how would you like to have the um, impressions? So, the impressions, oh, wow, <laughs> the impressions. <laughs> they, they hadn't been, no, the black players, the way, America, the way America worked then, and still to some extent works, is that uh, whites don't think about blacks, and blacks don't think that they can get a a, a, a a chance, an opportunity with whites. So segregation persists in various industries and businesses at certain times. Yeah. Well, I, um, I there was a period, a, a brief period for like a year or so, uh, where I was uh, sort of. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, like taken by Rolling Stone. This is way, way long back, back and Hunter Thompson. Uh, but I kind of just grew out of it because it just seemed to me like a, a, a corporate rag. Uh, and then I remembered, um, I really got irritated. And was it like the early 80s? They did a promotional, uh, like a promotional advertisement or something where they bragged about how uh, you may think of us a bunch of hippies, uh, but X percent of our readers, reader surveys, showed they voted for Ronald Reagan. They were bragging about that, Monroe, like X percent voted for Ronald. So this is their message to corporate America. You should advertise in Rolling Stone because we're just like you. And and I just thought, to me, that epitomized one of my favorite themes about how uh, the diluted the baby boomers' a sense of principle was. That as long as there was a draft and they were being forced to uh, think about going to Vietnam, they were radical. They were uh, standing up for uh, the rights of black people. Uh, and um, they were talking about a transformation of society. Once that draft was over and they could just live their life without being under any threat, man, they just went back to being <laughs> just like their parents. Monroe voting for Ronald Reagan. And uh, it just, I guess I have a low opinion of baby boomers when i was doing my internship at newsweek mm -hmm. back in 68 as it was explained to me um there was a period of goodwill towards black folks and it was brief but it was nice while it lasted when was this how long did that last uh probably two years or something uh, I, I'm I'm just thinking about just outside of um, like the music itself. Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm thinking of the about media in that, that that instance. Uh, music, it it actually lasted. You, you had race music, and then you had other music, then you had um, R and B, and you had other music. The other music was the, the default white music, rock and roll. Uh, for example, with um, with MTV, when they first started, they had no blacks on at all. Uh, they and basically, Rolling Stone was their model and inspiration. What Rolling Stone was doing, they they did they they put those groups on. And that type of group on, they follow Rolling Stone's lead. Mm -hmm. uh, and that all happened until, um, I think it was Columbia Records, uh, said that they were going to pull all their stars from MTV if they didn't play Michael Jackson. Michael. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so they did. And lo and behold, Michael was okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, that was a theme in the uh, in the Broadway show MJ, which I, I saw this summer. I remember telling you about it. It was like a, a fantastic 
production here in Chicago about how uh, it was uh, Michael Jackson was really upset at MTV and finally forced their hand uh, and um, because they wouldn't air, they didn't air his, damn, this is recent history, man. This is the eighties. They wouldn't. It's not your grandfather's story. Yeah. It is that grandfather millennials. Just, you were born. Most of you were born at this time. Okay. You were only one or two. But still, uh, I, I'm just thinking about it. Jan Wenner's counterparts as businessmen. So forget the uh, the rock and rollers, the John Lennons, the Mick Jaggers, etc. Like John Cornelius and Barry Gordy, two black men, right? Love them or hate them, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who hate them uh, because they were business. They're capitalists, Monroe. Okay, yeah. you work for John Johnson, yes. so black yeah. capitalists, white capitalists, you're still a yeah. capitalist. All right, right. Uh, these guys built. They built an like an empire of their own that's absolutely as strong, as powerful, and as influential as anything a white executive built. Jan Wenner owed it to himself out of just curiosity to go interview them. You know what I'm saying? Like, how did Barry Gordy do it? And what was his secret? What was his philosophy, his Oh you yeah, Barry Gordy definitely could have explained it to him. I mean, he, you know, they were the name of they were calling themselves Hitsville. Yeah, because their plan was to have hit after hit after hit, and their music was so good because they went and got jazz musicians, the best the best jazz musicians available to them in Detroit, and so. I mean, if you stop and think about most Motown hits from the 60s and 70s, you know the song after the first three notes. Yeah. You, I mean, you know what's coming up. I mean, that's how good the music. We're not talking about the lyrics with the great Smokey Robinson and others. We're just talking about the music. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, I, I, uh, everybody should watch the, the, the documentary, the Funk Brothers, about the, uh, right. studio musicians at Motown, the brilliant jazz guys who were in the Detroit scene and just picked up, and they don't even give them credit. This is Barry Gordy, man. This is what I'm saying. Capitalists, they don't give them credit. They were just the studio musicians. So, like, if you go look and see, like, who played on a Temptations, who was playing, like, the sax, or who's playing the bass, et cetera, more often than not, I'll just say Funk Brothers. Right. You know, I mean, Right, yeah, like they don't. It doesn't matter, you know. We're just paying them like per diem or whatever. It right. doesn't matter at all. Barry Gordy is a capitalist. <laughs> Fit right in there with UAW. We're gonna get to UAW. All right, let's move on to West Point. Uh, you were the one who uh, drew my attention to this. I read the New York Times story on this, uh, and um, so the same forces that uh, got the the Supremes to rule against affirmative action in the admissions programs of the University of North Carolina and at Harvard are now apparently turning their sights on West Point uh, and the military academies. And I got to tell you, Monroe, this is a troubling. It's troubling in many aspects. The counterattack against um, integration is effectively what it is. But there is a reason why the military uh, felt compelled uh, to promote uh, black people uh, in their, their, the uh, officers, the ranks of officers. They had a very specific reason for doing so. Uh, and it's, it, could, it could be detrimental uh, to our country on many levels if they uh, t take uh, uh, away, destroy um, any effort to, to reach out uh, to black people to be officers. Your thoughts on this? Oh, yeah, no, it's um, v Vietnam for all its problems and inequities and everything that is just bad history. I had, had a couple of things that, that turned out to be very good for America. First of all, it ended the draft because after after the Vietnam War and the, all the protests and turmoil, the military said, well, why don't we just go all volunteer? <laughs> Forget about it. And, and the second thing is, while the military was integrated, 
at that time from, from uh, became integrated right after World War II. Um, it still had a lot of racism in it. So during the Vietnam War, what would happen frequently is they would put black soldiers on the point. Uh, the point is when you send a, a, a group of soldiers into the the, 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 the the woods to seek out the enemy, then the black soldiers would be up front. And so they'd be the targets that would be shot and killed at first. And plus the, the, the military was just, I mean, just so racist. You had all these white men in, char in charge of all these black soldiers. And so things would happen. There was lots of tension. Um, this guy, Percy, who grew up one block over from me in Gary, went to prison because he fragged his lieutenant commander. He pulled a pin on a hand grenade and threw it in the room where his commander was and killed him. So he, he went to prison for that. And there was a lot of that sort of stuff going on. So the military, between being now volunteer, so they, they had to be attractive to people with talent. They, no, no, no more of this business where if, if you were a um, car thief and, and got arrested, you either went to prison or to the military, to the army. They gave you a choice. That doesn't happen anymore. So they needed people with talent and they needed to be integrated. Mm. And so they changed it to make sure that that would happen. Yeah, only three percent. I just this is the New York Times story uh, during the uh, in the Vietnam War era. Uh, only three percent of the officers who were serving in the Vietnam War were black. Three percent, and right. uh, the the percentage of the soldiers was much higher. Uh, and so that's sort of the inequity that the uh, the military is trying to rectify. Uh, I'm going to make an argument, Monroe, and uh, get your response. I never put it to you directly. Uh, bring back the draft. Bring back the draft. Uh, I, I got a feeling, uh, to quote the Beatles, that uh, George Bush would have been hesitant to initiate two wars uh, in the, at the same time if there were a draft. Uh, I have a feeling that um, many of these Democrats, like Hillary Clinton and uh, Bill Clinton, et cetera, so forth, who are always like threatening military uh, intervention, would be hesitant to do that uh, if there was a draft. And if, if that draft uh, generated the kind of protests that we had in Vietnam, your thoughts? Oh, I agree with that, except... I'm going to take your bring back the draft and raise you with a let's have a, a everybody when you graduate from high school, everybody, race, creed, color, income, um, have to spend one year serving America. Uh, it doesn't have to be the military. It could be farm work or but just where for one year you're drafted and you have to be uh, much like they do in Jerusalem. I mean, in Israel, where you become, because what that would do is eliminate a lot of the prejudice in this country because you'd be working with, um, no telling who you'd end up being with. And once you get to know people, um, as, as a general rule, you find out that you have things in common um, you, you're not as bad as you, you were told they, they were or something. And so it would just make this country a better country, period. So you think people should give the opportunity uh, to select uh, a service to the country that would enable them to avoid being in the military? Yeah, no, you don't, we don't need, we don't need, some people just are not made for the military. You know, I, I was, I, I I just would not the military enemy would not <laughs> on a lot of different levels. Yeah, they just would not have. But I could have worked elsewhere. 
you know, Clarence, Clarence Page was drafted, for example, but he went, he worked for the, the um, um, Stars and Stripes. Right. Yeah, so he did not uh, go fight in Vietnam. Right, exactly. Although he, he, you know, it, I think he went there to cover it, you know, because they're right, I think. Uh, Jonathan Rogers, who um, was the general manager at WBVM-TV and went on to become president of the um, CBS, he was drafted. And he's working for either Newsweek or um, Sports Illustrated at the time because he worked at both. So I forget which one. It was Newsweek, I'm pretty sure. But the Newsweek lawyers did. They got together to try and figure out how he could not have to go to Vietnam. And what they realized in their research is that the military would not let you fully participate if you uh, said you were pacifist and refused to touch a weapon. And so he announced that he, he would not use a gun. And so he spent his two years draft uh, working in libraries yeah. in the United States, not in Vietnam. I, I'll have to think about it, uh, whether a national service program uh, would have the impact that a draft would have. I know it wouldn't have the impact a draft would have, I think about it, uh, on curtailing military uh, intervention wars. Uh, in, like yeah, the, know, with the National Service, maybe it would be a, a lottery of such. I don't know. I, I just know, I, I do believe uh, that uh, there's just sort of a laziness that's taken hold in America. It's very weird. And we, I've had this conversation so many times in the show uh, where um, with military guys who say it's interesting. Um, there's like that moment in a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game where we pay homage to a, uh, a serviceman and everybody gives the person a standing ovation. Uh, and it's sort of an acknowledgement that, yeah, you did something that I didn't do. You know, you did something uh, that I weasel out of or I didn't even think of doing. So good that you did it. I'll give you this applause. And that's about it. You got what I'm saying, Monroe? And uh, Yeah, I think it's, I, I, first of all, right now, only 2% of Americans have someone in the military. Is that right? 2%? Yeah, wow. 2%. That's what I've I've. I've, I've Read. I'm pretty sure that's. I, I'm. 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 I'm doing memory, so I. I could be wrong. You'd be a little bit higher, but I think it's two percent. Anyway, well, small. Yeah. And the 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 other thing is with at these games where they're standing up, and and for, for, uh, listening to the national anthem and being all patriotic. That's our tax dollars at work. Because the military pays those sports uh, uh, teams and uh, um, arenas to do the national. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how deep the patriotism is, is deeper simply because um, it's now part of a, a culture. And it's almost like a brainwashing. Yeah. Well, there's a reflex reaction that people have, uh, and they stand up and cheer. Right. And, um, uh, you know, I, I do believe part of it is just a sense of like a, a, a feeling of guilt, like, oh, this person did it, but I didn't, you know, so I'll clap now and then we'll go back to life. And I'm like, well, you know, you too could get a chance. We'll have a draft. Everybody can serve. Uh, and then maybe there'll be fewer military interventions. All right, I'll close with this before we move on to the next topic, this quote by John Halls in the New York Times, a 1994 West Point graduate and professor of U.S. military history uh, at Madison. Uh, and he says, the U.S. military was relatively ahead of the rest of society in implementing what today we call diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. There is considerable risk associated with revoking those policies. Sums it up very neatly in my humble opinion, John Hall, there's considerable risk. There's a reason why we're addressing these year long Century-long progress problems that we've confronted in our country, and now in the name of just like what uh, 
meritocracy. They want to uh, go back to the way it was. All right, Monroe, let's talk a little uh, Hunter Biden. Uh, we haven't really taken the deep dive on him at all. We spent so much time talking about Donald Trump. Hunter Biden's been uh, indicted on essentially a gun charge. And I just find the irony here a little too unbelievable, uh, as always. Uh, the lack of consistency on the part of MAGA. I struggle to understand it. Um, it was uh, last week uh, we were dealing on this show with Stacey Davis Gates and her decision to send her child uh, to a private school. And uh, MAGA was just ferocious. Not just MAGA. Well, Paul Vallis types were ferocious in their uh, disdain and their anger and their upset that she could be so, quote, hypocritical. Well, here we go. MAGA, come on. If, if, you're, if you're for pure purging hypocrisy from the public scene, how about this one? So Hunter Biden has essentially been indicted, Monroe, for lying uh, on an um, application to get a gun permit uh, about um, uh, his matter of, uh, what was it, uh, whether he committed a crime or he'd uh, been indicted or what have you, lying on it. We got uh, it on a tech. You know, that's it, but the point is, is like, Mag, I thought you believed in the Second Amendment. I thought you believed that we, <laughs> I thought this was the fundamental. They believe in whatever they want to believe in that serves their purpose. That's it. Uh, with, with Hunter, he had, he only had the gun for, I think, 11 days. It had no bullets in it and never fired it. Uh, it was taken from him because family members were worried that he would use it to commit suicide because he was despondent at the time. He lied on his application and said that uh, for, for the gun permit, and said that he didn't do drugs, he wasn't addicted to drugs, and when obviously he was. And so this is what the Republicans are using as their bludgeon against his daddy. Wow. Well, I, 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 I see your point. It's whatever uh, tool they have, uh, right. they're going to use it. Uh, it. But it's, it's absurd. Like if you give uh, a mass shooting, uh, and uh, Democrats will talk about the need for restrictions uh, and closer scrutiny of who gets access to guns, uh, MAGA is up in arms uh, about. Um, uh, you know, how this is an intrusion on their Second Amendment constitutional right. And I know what you're saying. Your ultimate theme, Monroe, is that none, there is no principle to MAGA. Uh, no. This all just tactics and tools that they're using in this larger fight. They believe in nothing. So they don't even, apparently, they're selective even in their belief of in the Second Amendment. Right. Is what you're telling me, correct? Right. Exactly. So do you believe that uh, Hunter Biden is being prosecuted uh, on the by the Justice Department in order to show MAGA or try to convince MAGA that they, the Justice Department, will punish uh, Democrats as well as uh, Trumpsters. That's a subset. The main the main event is to try to uh, rationalize the indictment of Joe Biden. And so if, if they can use this towards that effort, they will. They being the Justice Department? Mm -hmm. Who's the they in that sense? Oh, the Republicans. The Republicans. No, but what I'm saying Justice Department prosecutors have indicted Hunter Biden. And my uh, jaded, been in Chicago too long uh, analysis of it was, oh, they did this in order to show MAGA that they, the Justice Department, under the control of the leadership of Merrick Garland, would indict a Democrat so that they could not be accused of just picking on Trump and MAGA. Well, this, this is, is, is a little more complicated than that, in that, okay, uh, words was... Uh, if that's his name, right? Works. Uh, the prosecutor mm -hmm. was appointed by Weiss. Trump. Huh? Weiss. But go Weiss. ahead. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Weiss was appointed by Trump. Mm -hmm. And then the, the uh, 
investigation was underway. And when Garland was meeting to get approved as the attorney general, he was asked about whether he'd leave Weiss in place or not. And he said he would. And, and also because Gar Garland is, by reputation is a real straight shooter, uh, probably a little bit too innocent for my liking. But anyway, uh, he 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 said he wouldn't interfere at all with 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 um uh, when he decided that there should be a well he 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 said he wouldn't interfere um when with the um hunter case and so uh, Weiss said that there was nothing there everybody was there was nothing there but the Republicans, the, the the MAGA crowd, yeah, insisting there there was something. Well, yeah. so they got they were trapped basically. That's that's yeah. Uh, so they indicted him. That's my point. And yeah. uh, there is something there. He 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 lied on this. Oh, he lied on this application. Yeah, if, if his name was Hunter Anderson, <laughs> okay. he got slapped on the hand. Yeah, fine. $250. <laughs> yeah. And that would have been the end of it. Uh, uh, because, uh, he, because, I mean, he, okay, he had, he had a drug problem. Yeah. We know how many Americans have drug. Yeah. Uh, and he had a, a, a gun. And we know how many Americans have guns. And m I don't know the percentage, but my guess is, at least twenty percent of Americans have drug problems yeah. and guns. Yeah. So I mean, he he was not an exception to that rule. Uh, and uh, well, this is a case where he's now public enemy number one uh, for MAGA. Uh, right. They believe uh, that they can use uh, Hunter Biden to bring down Joe Biden, right. uh, and this is their tactic. And they're just they're not going to let up on it. Um, and there's a lot that uh, Hunter Biden has done, obviously, to screw up his life. Uh, to try to take advantage of that Biden name, right? Get deals, yeah. uh, and um, he's is an embarrassment uh, and, to Joe and, Biden to put him out. Trump children would never do anything. No, like no, the <laughs> Trump children. <laughs> Lord knows they would. No, no never, ever. <laughs> uh, but like you said, the, the uh, MAGA doesn't care if you call him a hypocrite. Man, they don't care. What the heck? It's just. <laughs> Tool in the larger yeah, I'm a hypocrite and proud of it. By the way, this story just broke. I, I get into light. Finally, Democrats, I talked about this last time Monroe was on the show. Democrats are so lame and so wimpy and they don't know how to play the game. Finally, uh, Senate poised to confirm military chiefs sidestepping to, uh, Tupperville uh, blockage, uh, blockade. Excuse me. We talked about this last week, Monroe. Uh, Senator Tommy Tupperville, the uh, Alabama Republican, had been blocking them because uh, he was opposed to the Pentagon's abortion policy. This was a ready-made issue for the Democrats to exploit in their utter cluelessness and their utter cowardice. They had failed to take advantage of it. Finally, Schumer, uh, the Senate president, is moving uh, forward. The majority leader in the Senate is moving forward. Uh, the Senate was expected on Wednesday to confirm three generals to serve in the president's top military advisory council, steering around a months-long blockage blockade of military promotions by Senator Tommy Tuberville. All right, Schumer, good. Finally, put him put him on the hot seat. Get those Republicans to vote on whether they don't think uh, American service women should have access to abortion. If you're if you're based in like some wacko state like Alabama or Mississippi or Texas, where they have extreme anti-abortion laws, then you should be allowed to go to Illinois if you need an abortion. All right. The, the Republicans say no. So force them to vote on it. Force them to have that vote on it. Put them in the hot seat. It's yeah, just so obvious to me, Monroe. Go ahead. Tupperville blinked. This is why we have this is. That um, they they the Democrats beating them over the head with being unpatriotic and damaging our national security 
And he didn't have a good answer to that. So this was his way of trying to turn the tables and blame the Democrats for what was going on. And he says, well, if, th if this is really so cru cru uh, crucial to them and our security, then I'll let, let them take a vote on it. And I won't object to that. Uh, they should have forced that issue a long time ago, and they should do the same thing with J.D. Vance, who's holding up uh, the, the approval of uh, uh, federal prosecutors. I just, the Democrats don't know, they don't play the game, Monroe. I, I'm, I'm sorry, they don't play it the way Republicans do. Uh, and that's why, in part, they are so unsuccessful uh, in keeping the Republicans, the party that has fewer support in this country. The, they're, they are legitimately the minority party in this country. Right. Uh, and yet they act. One senator holds up all these uh, nominations. Give me a break. Should have called this vote about a month or two ago. All right. Let's move on and close with some Donald Trump talk. Donnie is uh, a slick as hell, Monroe. So he already, you, you said this uh, before we went on the air. He's already, I, I've, I'm the nominee. This, the, the whole primary process is a joke. I'm just ignore, ignore all these guys who are running against me in the Republican primary because uh, they don't have a chance anyway. Uh, and now he's trying to position himself for a general election. And so and this means uh, he's sort of taking a stand, and I have all this in quotes, on behalf of auto workers who are in strike, without, of course, taking a stand and effectively undercutting uh, the very workers he says he's supporting. <laughs> I know some of them, you know, will probably fall for it, uh, just in general, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, but your thoughts on the little machinations of Donald Trump with the UAW strike? Oh, uh, well, if you'll recall, when he ran the first time for president, he was the working man's champion particularly the auto workers. He's going to do, he's going to bring all these plants in and he's going to make them, he's going to make them um, stop making parts in these foreign countries. He's going to bring it all back. He gets to be president and he gives buku bucks to billionaires and corporations and he tells the auto worker to wait for it. It's going to dribble down, dribble down mm -hmm. um, at some point. In the meantime, um, they had the auto workers help save General Motors by taking a big cut in salary uh, to help the company get over the hump, and. Since then, the companies have been getting filthy rich, and the auto workers um, aren't making as much now as they were uh, bef be before the crisis. Mm -hmm. And Trump did not help them at all. Now he's going to have it, as Trump does. He has press conferences and rallies and makes big promises, and then when the rally is over, then he's on to the next thing. Yeah, I mean, but does absolutely nothing about it. And so that's his plan yeah. now. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't think uh, it's going to work. Well, I mean, there are probably some uh, UAW workers who uh, are MAGA and are just going to vote for MAGA regardless of this issue, regardless yeah. of how it affects them. Right. Uh, and so... And we know why. <laughs> this is radio, so I'm pointing to my my hand and my skin color. You won't see that. Yeah, they they got a lot in common with uh, Jan Wenner. Okay, yeah. when it comes exactly. to black people. Exactly. Uh, but um, uh, I'm now watching the Republican Party try to figure out again. It's similar with abortion. Uh, this is a position where they got to figure out a way. Uh, to appease uh, their their core, their base, which is vehemently opposed to unions, vehemently opposed to strikes, 
and believes that uh, as long as the wealthy are getting wealthier, the economy is strong. And they believe in trickle down, what, what Monroe just said. Uh, at the same time, they have to show some sympathy uh, or empathy for the working class people that vote for them or the uh, blue collar people that vote for them. This so we're no, they a- come up with the electric vehicle as the enemy. Go ahead. Monroe. Right. I know we have this whole th- movement going on right now for unionization. And um, since since Reagan was president, uh, the those in the working and middle class have been beaten down, not given uh, raises, uh, significant raises enough. And so you so so there's been a wake up call. Uh, these folks have become woke. And they want more money. I mean, the uh, auto workers want a 40% raise uh, increase in their raises. That sounds like a lot to me. You know, well, I, I can't imagine what, any point in my life I wouldn't have loved a 40% raise in my working life. I mean, you know, in negotiations, the opening round. Yeah. I mean, come on. And then, uh, like, uh, but okay, wait. No, but let's look at UPS. They went on strike. The drivers went on strike for that, and they were quite successful. Uh, they will, within five years, because these raises are com- uh, coming in increments each year, yeah. they will be making $170,000. Good. Yeah, right. I know. I I'm like not that. crying. I, know. Uh, I wish that was around when I was a kid. Right. Maybe uh, I would- Right. Wouldn't have wasted my time being a broke ass journalist. Exactly right. I know. <laughs> you I know. know. I mean, uh, the point good. I'm making is good for them. There are good examples that uh, uh, that people are watching and wanting, and and um, so the day of the robber baron may be coming to an end. I don't know. I I, uh, I, I yeah. They'll continually fight it. Uh, yeah, resisted. Lawyers. Yeah, and um, but uh, I'm watching again. I hear everything you're saying, and I'm watching the Republican reaction to it. And we'll be seeing it played out. And they will turn electric vehicles in somehow or other in the enemy. Uh, and they will uh, uh, maintain that are somehow or other. They're not going to change. No, 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 no. They're not going to be able to do that electrical vehicle. I mean, as the enemy. Yeah, and not successfully. I mean, they will try, but they, you know, it, that would be akin to, um, and and there was an effort back then, uh, t- t- turning um, the the horseless carriage. Yes, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it worked on some, but a lot of them. Yeah. The 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 um, position of the Republican Party was essentially championed uh, by none other than South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. I told you about this. Uh, this unbelievable declaration that Tim Scott made, uh, I think he was in Iowa in regards to the UAW strike. Uh, and uh, he see he took the harsh line uh, and uh, he cited Reagan uh, who fired uh, the air traffic controllers in 1981 when they went on strike. Uh, and he was basically saying somebody can't be the president because the president doesn't control uh, UAW. Uh, the, the auto industry should just fire strikers strikes should be illegal uh and uh they should just fire strikers <laughs> like okay go into the general election with that as your position republican party see how far that gets you go ahead Monroe. Right. the union it was very united auto workers union was very smart in, in 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 this strike they've been very smart because um in the past when these strikes were going on it would be chrysler or GM, you you know they would just pick one company and and attack it. Yeah. Now they're doing the whole industry, and they're not doing the whole industry uh, where nobody works. Yeah, I understand they're doing it. Yeah. yeah, right. They're uh, doing it. Well, you know, well in uh, increments. So there's three factories that are out right now. We had, by the way, everybody wants to take the, hear the deep dive in this. I had. Uh, Union man Keith Keller on the show yesterday. We took the deep dive on this on the strategy. All right. Okay. Uh, and um, I think that's very wise. Yeah. No, it's a smart move. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they all learned a thing or two from the great, the legendary. Let's give her a shout out. Chicago's own Karen Lewis, uh, who took a stand when everybody else was hiding under their table. 
uh, back in 2011. All right, Monroe, we've run out of time, and it was a great show. Thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, spending another Wednesday with me. All right. Take care. Uh, I also want to thank the man, myth, the legend, the pride and joy of where is he from? He's all from from Alton, Illinois. Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews and a whole lot more at ChicagoReader.com. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J show and like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.